You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Alex Barr from Currency Cloud. And today I'm joined by Eduardo Moreni, CEO of Emma. You're the first person that pronounces my name correctly. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Eduardo, it's great to have you on. For our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Emma? Yeah, definitely. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Emma. Emma is a, an app that helps you manage your money and track your spending. We started three years ago in 2018. So far, we've raised more than £5 million in funding. We're live in the UK, US and Canada. And in the next few months, I guess it will be an app that will also enable you to process payments, invest, buy crypto and do a bunch of other things in finance. So we're pretty much on the verge of building like a financial super app. It's exciting times. So to take it back a couple of steps from the beginning, you, you started as an AISP money management app. Is that right? We were, we were pretty much the first ASP to be licensed in um, 2018. Do you remember? Because the deadline was like January the 7th of uh, 2018. And we were live pre-open banking. So we were connecting to banks through credential sharing. And then wow. we sort of like lived through the transition to open banking. And along the way, we figured out a bunch of things. One is that, you know, day-to-day tracking is cool. It's working really well. But now, you know, on top of just accessing your existing current accounts, we can provide a set of financial services all around it. So I suppose those years of learning for your customer base, and you must have seen quite a lot of traffic data points that led you on this, well, what you're talking about now to become a to become a super app, I suppose. Definitely. And also, you know, with open banking, like a few scenarios have opened up. And the first one is pretty much payments. You know, open banking is not just about accessing a current account and the transactions, but it's also about initiating payments, right? So now from the MS side, we open banking. What we can do is like peer-to-peer payments, so request money and send money to friends. We can even do internal transfers, which we actually are releasing in two weeks. So if you go to accounts, you can send money between two accounts. And the probably next big update that is actually coming in the next six months is the ability of doing recurring payments between a person accounts. And this basically, you know, poses a threat even for the overdraft market because a tool like Emma could, you know, get your permission to move money whenever we know that you're likely to go in overdraft. And so we we actually are able to build like a protection on top of your own like existing bank accounts or open banking. And I think this has been like a huge revolution and we're still like uh, at the beginning of it. Mm, I agree. And you talk about your your pen, your impending updates in the weeks and months. I'm interested that you, I saw in the press recently that you decided to make your roadmap public. I, I wonder what prompted you to do that. To feel the pressure of the user, because, you know, when you've got a company, you feel the pressure from the investors, which is all like mental pressure, uh, literally. It's not like, you know, that they, they email us every day threatening us. But I think that the user pressure is like much stronger than the investor one, because these are people that use the products on a day-to-day basis and they're the ones that actually can provide more feedback than anyone else and actually get more excited about any new update uh, along the line. I think that's the first reason. The second one is to really like bring the accountability because, you know, we did it at the same time of like raising like a crowdfunding round of like 3.5 million pounds and we didn't want 
people to invest in a black box. We actually want people to invest in a plan and a team. And so we decided to actually, you know, put everything like on the table and say, this is the team, this is the plan, uh, really up to you. You can put anything above 10 pounds, feel free to do so. Wow. And with the roadmap that you've got public here and, and this journey to becoming this super app, what are you most excited about? Or what, what are you most excited about for your users to have next? I think that, you know, like there are like a couple of things here. The first one is that eventually speaking, any financial company would become like a super app. Mm. And the reason behind that is because we're getting into like a, a time in the industry where there are like a ton of companies that can pro- provide B2B services to access like a certain feature. Mm-hmm. For example, if you want to build like an investment, you know, platform like 10 years ago, you would have had to build everything from scratch. Today, you know, with three connections, you can actually do that without owning the, the whole stack. And definitely, you know, for us, the, the most interesting development is investments because, you know, we are the, the ones that started from savings, from budgeting. And now we don't just want to provide the saving bits, but we want to provide the investing bits. And over the years, we try to work on this in multiple ways. You know, we started with referrals. Right now, if you open and download the app, you will see that we still refer people to a couple of like trading platforms mm. and uh, even like um, sort of like ISA providers. But we saw that this model, on top of not being really efficient, it doesn't really build like a long-term relationship with a customer. And so as of today, we're actually building like trading in AMMA and, you know, we're going to enable people to buy and sell shares within the, within the app. And I think this is like, you know, one of the biggest shifts that we're actually introducing into the, the product. So you think that the main driver for you building this product is 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 inclu- inclusivity for your customer base, right? Allowing them to have everything in one place. It's, it's all about really being able to do things in two taps and yeah. learn about new financial products. You know, um, if you look at this generation, which is mine, you know, I'm like 28. This is the generation that has completely is completely changing the way that they are dealing with money. Uh, you know, my parents probably never even thought of opening like an investment account. Mm. They probably still, as of today, they've got like a savings account and a current account. While everyone that is my generation is like playing around with like investment apps, cryptocurrencies, and mm. other like uh, forms of like long-term investments. So it's really about bring, bringing the access to these people and, you know, keep investing in, in, in this generation and the one that is coming. Is, is that is that view reflected in the, the demographics of your customer base? Uh, most yeah, of, your, of course. Really? Yeah. What? You know, our main demographic is 25, 35 and 18, 25. And these are the people that are heavily interested in investing, are heavily interested in cryptocurrencies. And, you know, they want to do more with their money. That has always been seen as a product to over-optimize your finances. It's not a product that helps you get out of debt or, you know, helps you become, you know, as you get out of like a poor situation or like an overdraft, it's more a product for like rich people or middle-class people to over-optimize and improve. Mm. It's that product for the people that really like to look at their bank account. That's one of the, you know, biggest dramas of this century that we still have people that don't check their bank account. (laughs) And uh, we make the experience fun and, and easy to do, basically. I try not to check my bank account. It's never, it's never a good thing. <laughs> I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on earlier your crowdfunding and your, your recent round that you did. And, and congratulations on that, by the way. I'd love to know more about, I think the listeners would as well, to love, know, to, love to know more about why you chose to do it, why you chose to go down the route of crowdfunding and, and why Crowdcube. 
I think that, you know, since the very early on, we built the product with our users and some of the biggest features that we have in Emma, they were built by our users and the feedback that they were uh, giving us. And the main reason is because when I started the company, uh, I was fresh out of uni and, mm. you know, when you build features that deal with like income and spending, probably I wasn't the best, you know, uh, target audience for that. And we had this request over and over across the last few years, simply because, you know, we're busy in London, we're a fintech, and I think it's very common for every fintech here to run a crowdfunding round at some point, sooner or mm -hmm. later. And given our existing numbers and the volume that we have, was really like an opportunity to get everyone involved. And, you know, we closed the round with like about 5,000 investors, which wow. is like a fraction. It is a fraction of our like existing users, mm. but definitely is like a strong base to, you know, bring a network effect of 5,000 people that would use them every single day and talk about it. You know, it's funny that I say so because like my co-founder like three weeks ago, he was in the, in the tube and he heard a guy next to him uh, whispering that he convinced his girlfriend not to put the money for a mortgage, but to invest in startups. And he recently invested in Emma as one of them. I <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> yes. Uh, just like, so that, that was like a funny one, right? But it's getting to a point where, you know, you see this interaction on a day-to-day -day basis if you go around. Yeah, that's oh, it's really exciting. I love hearing stories like that. Um, I, I think I'd like to know, what did you, I'd like to know more about what you learned from the process of of going of, of going down the the crowdfunding route because it's yeah. something that's, it's obviously something that's become more more I want to say fashionable this you know this year and last year. What what did you learn going through this process? You know, I did two VC rounds and one crowdfunding round, so I think I've seen both sides of like the the table. Wow. I think that the VC round is like very straightforward in terms of like this is the amount, this is the valuation, and you know okay. we're closing with these terms and these are the lawyers. And it involves like a very big or short process beforehand because you tend to talk to 50, 60 different VCs and then close with one. Mm. While crowdfunding is all about really communicating a message with your users and try to you know convince them to to invest. Mm. Uh, so on one side, it's very it's a very similar process, but with the crowdfunding, it's really about you know talking to tens of thousands of people and trying to convince them. While with like a VC round, you talk to 40 people max. So it's a, it's a volume game, right? Yeah, you're very much talking to the masses as opposed to to to, to one. Yeah, round. I mean, like you know, like for a VC, if the VC is able to put on a five million round, the VC is able to put three million. It's just like you know, it's very different from like three thousand people that put a thousand pounds each. I'd love to know your opinion on that. We've we've obviously seen some huge rounds this year, and again at the back end of last year. Do you think that contributed to to helping your round on Crowdcube? Do you think that People's... Yeah, our, our round went crazy in the last four days, simply because like Revolut announced this huge round led by Tiger Global, I think. Mm. And the reason behind that is because Revolut ran like a Crowdcube campaign in 2016. There were like 416 investors with like an investment cap of like 2,000 pounds or less. Mm. And the people that invested 2,000 pounds now on paper, they should have like about 2, two million pounds. Wow. So... Uh, you know, for someone that, you know, has got like a nine to five, that's just like a life changing, you know, it's a sum that can change your your life pretty much. So you've got 5,000 users that are hoping to become mil millionaires very soon. <laughs> yeah, we, we like in the last three days, we really added like 1.5 million pounds on top of ground. And, you know, that was wow. really unexpected. But yeah, like crowdfunding is not 
any frame from like a VC round because even the VC round would have this component that we call FOMO, mm -hmm. which is a fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. And it works in the same exact way. So you need to pull certain buttons to make people, you know, have anxiety to miss on the investment and to, to invest. Uh, it sounds a bit harsh, but it's basically how every single VC round in Europe works. Uh, mm -hmm. Once, like a guy told me that um, raising funding in the US is like, you know, it's very metrics, metrics based very numeric. Raising funding in Europe is, um, is something that if you're good at dating, you should be good at raising because it's all about, you know, the passion and uh, uh, the fear of missing out and uh, the emotions. I don't know what that says about you, Eduardo. I'll let everyone <laughs> make their own, make their own yeah. assumptions on that. <laughs> on another topic, I think that's, that's interesting to talk about as well, I think, especially in the wealth tech world, is potentially more around the, the future consolidation of the market. So my view is, in, especially in the robo-advisory space, that there's, there's yeah. inevitably going to be some sort of consolidation. We saw the start of it very recently yeah. with, with Nutmeg and JP Morgan. My view is, obviously, there's, there's, there's quite a few players in this market, especially in the UK and EU now, and the cost of yeah. customer acquisition is, is, is reasonably high. Um, yeah. Do you think that's going to continue? Do you think that's going to continue into 2022, 23? What do you think people's exit strategies are here? I think that, you know, we're going to see the same stuff that we saw with like aggregation and open banking. Like yeah. in the first two years, you would see a company team funding or starting every week. And then after two years, you would see, you know, 90% of those companies wiped out and 10% still outstanding. And then, you know, it's really a matter of uh, is this 10% able to actually being acquired or is this 10% being able to, you know, sustain like a long-term growth? I think that for Welltech, and I wouldn't count Nutmeg into what I mean by Welltech because I'm more talking about this generation of the last year and a half that started on the wave that Robin Robin you know, yeah, in, the, in the US. The neo-broker wave. Yeah, the neo-broker wave. I think that today is still the beginning. You know, we have free mm. trade in the UK, which is like quite big, but still haven't penetrated anything. So we're probably still a year or year one or, you know, the second year. So we should probably see something in the next three to four years. Do you, do you think it's fair to say then that, that this space is probably, what, three years behind what the, the neo-banking space was or the digital banking space was? This is kind yes, of the, the yes. new iteration, right? Yes, it's, it's definitely like a new iteration on that. Uh, you know, some neo-banks like Revolut picked it up very, very early. Now, you know, there are talks that N26 was released like an investment product. Mm. Monzo, you know, they say lots of things, so I wouldn't take them as granted. Okay, let's not make a joke about Monzo. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that for UK and Europe, uh, it is still like day one. Of course, we saw massive rounds like Trade Republic raising like uh, a billion mm, uh, dollars. But even that, you know, every round has got its own meaning and uh, its own like secrets. Like what we see from the outside sometimes does not reflect what happens in the inside especially when it comes to amounts and valuation. So let's give it like three, four years and then see how, how it's gonna, what's going to happen. We'll do another podcast then and we'll, we'll circle back on it. We, we, we touched on the neo-broker, well, the, the, the new buzzword neo-broker. What, what do you think exciting about that space? Right, Lots of people are, are, are launching US stocks. What do you think's, what do you think's next in, on that trend? I think that, you know, just the simple fact that we can bring trading to 90% of the population in a very simple and easy way, that's super, super, like, exciting. The second thing that I find very exciting is the addition of, like, cryptocurrency, because while stocks, 
have been always accessible in a way or another and you know any sort of like form of investing like crypto is still probably a one percent or two percent penetration and we still need to get to a point where everyone is able to hold like you know bitcoin and ethereum and we get you know 90 95 percent of like market penetration so i'm more excited into seeing how we can bring crypto to the masses than just like a simple hey let's buy an apple share or like a a Tesla share, which is probably what everyone does on on day one. And you, do you think that's far away? I think it's not far away. I think that we probably need to figure out use cases where crypto can also become part of your day-to-day life. Because here we're just talking about like buying and selling, right? Spending is something that people have been trying to figure out in the last three years, but it's very difficult and it's very expensive to use like a debit card connect to your cryptocurrencies. So. Mm. Probably we haven't sold that bit yet. I mean, the, the other bit that it's really interesting and I hope that we, in Emma we'll be able to introduce is like staking. You know, the ability of like making like 5 to 10% returns on your own investments is something that you wouldn't find in any sort of like investment of product whatsoever, right? I'm, I'm a bit exposed to uh, DOT and Polkadot. Mm. And when I see that 10% that comes in every day, I just like get excited. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunately when it goes the other way, that's also the difficulty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's part of like the roller coaster. That's why as of today, I'm 70% exposed to crypto. Everything I have, like 60% of it is in crypto, even 70%. It's just because it's fun, you know. Going up and down is like fun than seeing this like three, four percent that comes in from like a product like Nutmeg. You know, mm-hmm. I also got like a Nutmeg account and it's just boring, you know. Yeah, of course, it's long term, blah blah blah, is compounding interest here and there. But I'd rather be on a roller coaster and uh, play that than just like wait for the, the next 30 years. Definitely, this is not financial advice, so you know, don't listen to what I say. Yeah, capital, capital at, disclaimers of capital at risk yeah. here. Well, it's very clear to see what you're most excited about for your roadmap next. Um, it's very obvious that it's, it has a crypto element to it. Uh, which uh, is exciting for me too. Eduardo, it's been great speaking with you today. For those who want to find out more about Emma, what is the best way for people to get in touch? I think uh, either the website, which is emma-app.com, or simply like Twitter, just type Emma Finance, or type my first name and last name and you'll find me. Perfect. Thanks again for joining and sharing some information about you know your views on the market and Emma in general and your future plans. Thank you for joining. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.